This is WNXS News with your anchors, Kit Harding, Jake E, ISO on Esports, and Diz on Product Forecast. Welcome to WNXS News, your nexus for magic news. I'm Jake E. And I'm Kit Harding. Thank you for joining us. We're out of the holiday lull that comes from Wizards of the Coast every year, where the employees get a much-deserved break and the Beebles are left to run things, throwing whatever they will into the mana vortex. New Year same kit, huh? I am eternal, immutable, always playable in any format. Surely you're not suggesting I should change. Oh, I wouldn't dare. I genuinely hope you never do. But while the Beebles running the show may sound like a bad idea, they actually provided us with our top story. Which doesn't preclude that from being a bad idea, given the usual content of our top stories. Hey, we do some uplifting stories. Shall we see if this is one of them? While WotC has still not been wholly forthcoming regarding future plans for organized play, one decision was made. William Huey Jensen has officially been named Director of Play Programs. We don't quite know what that role will entail, but many other players have stated that from an experience standpoint, WotC could certainly have picked worse players than Huey to fill this role. Well, he has been involved with the game for 25 years and is a former world champion, so he's definitely got the history with the game someone in charge of play programs should have. Indeed, he does. But, as has become the pattern with Watsy announcements, and as you just pointed out, our top stories, there are some concerns outside of the appointment itself. That's right! His professional magic record may be impressive, but some of his connections within the field are a bit... questionable. See, this is why we can't have anything nice. Oh, it gets worse! Do you remember the Owen Turtenwald situation? I try my absolute best not to, but unfortunately, yes, I do. Well, part of what made that situation so tough was that other pro-level players who had been known as his friends decided to defend him, and among these were Reed Duke and Huey. It's worth noting that Reed Duke published a later article acknowledging that he was in the wrong and apologizing to the community, which of course isn't the same as apologizing to the affected individuals, but you know, credit where credit is due, and we don't want to leave things out. Huey, however, has not issued such a statement, and at the time of the controversy breaking, he admitted to knowing about Owen's behavior and attempting to get him some help before Owen's behavior became public knowledge. And yet, he did not directly condemn the behavior or Owen's seeming lack of remorse. Watsy, Still a boys club! Nick Kelman all over again! You know, that hadn't actually occurred to me but you aren't wrong it's not i mean it's not quite as bad but it's very similar in tone and then they wonder why they have problems attracting and retaining minority players even with all the recent attempts at diversity and inclusion 
Has there been even a one attempted inclusion that we've reported on as unequivocally doing well instead of some controversy erupting all around it? You know, I, I'm honestly not sure. And this whole thing has made it hard for a lot of people to celebrate the announcement. And for players who are already feeling alienated, it's made things feel that much worse for them. And speaking of a non-zero amount of alienation, our next story. One of the many reasons it's taken us 16 years to get another Kamigawa-themed set is cultural concerns from both fans and from Watsi. The history of the cyberpunk genre and its Western colonialism roots is a bit too complex for us to fairly explain in the time we have here. But several critics of the aesthetic have pointed to that being what seems to be largely present for the set's theme. The original Kamigawa block had set out to play heavily on the spiritual and folklore elements of Japanese traditions, but it ended up being confusing to players who didn't understand those elements. And aside from just jamming every folklore into the set they could find, it also romanticized and leaned heavily into the more pop culture-based views of the samurai and ninja tropes, ignoring a lot of the history or actual culture within those roles. With the original weekly magic stream about the set telling us that they are planning to lean on quote-unquote Japanese pop culture, we all know they mean anime, right? It's only increased apprehension with those who were already somewhat doubtful about the set. Because Watsi has such a great track record with Asian representation, as we saw them drop the ball about that less than a year ago, so people are already holding such high expectations for them. Many of those same people have said that they would love to give Watsi the benefit of the doubt and wait for more information, but that they've also done so and been burned enough times in the past that they just couldn't this time. Until, that is, a video presented on January 11th. This video was a panel discussing the world-building process of Neon Dynasty. In it, the participants explained how they knew going in how much pressure they had to live up to during design. During the design research, this team focused on clearing up a lot of the muddled mythos and cultural snafus from the original Kamigawa block. Some of this included inappropriate weaponry, misrepresented tropes, like ninjas not being just a death cult, and even fixing some of the more unnecessary Orochi anatomy. In addition to making clear that humans and kami don't really exist on different planes, they even managed to make clear the fact that ogres and oni aren't just mean, evil monsters. The design team also assured us that the lore itself would be well taken care of. And, with all of these reassurances, hope seems to have been restored. We'll have to keep an eye on the set when the previews start in full. It seems like a good time to take a break, and when we come back, Diz is back from their holiday hiatus! And we have some info about interesting shakeups with Star City Games. Hey there, all you cool citizens of Innistrad. Times are hard right now, with the eternal night only just ending, and the permafrost finally thawing. Maybe you need something to chill your vibe instead of your hide. 
Well, Davriel Kane has the offer of a lifetime for you. Get down with the chill and contract the relaxation of your dreams with his latest jazz solo album. With a sound that reaches across the stars and soothes the moon itself, there's no better way to pass the now-shortening nights with those you love. If you want a preview of this album, the man with the plan of law will be live in person at the overgrown farmland as part of the region's restoration project this fortnight. Oh yeah. Then over to the Rockfall Vale for a more intimate experience with his fans. Come on by and let the music of the space between the stars calm you down with the jazz machine. And we're back! A new card was shown for Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, so let's go to Diz to hear about it. Welcome back, Diz! Thank you, Kit, and thanks to Daryl for taking over for me. Those familiar with the Kamigawa story are a tad confused with this spoiler based solely on the name, but that's a discussion for when we hear the story itself. Um, Diz, what happened to your voice? What do you mean? That's not your voice. Of course it is, silly. I've always sounded like this. Okay, then. Anyway, meanwhile, Satoru Umizawa has been revealed to us all. A legendary ninja for one blue-black, Satoru is a 2-4 that surprisingly doesn't have ninjutsu by itself, but once per turn when you activate a ninjutsu ability, it allows you to look at the top three cards of your library, put one into your hand, and then the rest on the bottom. Still seems odd to have a ninja card with no ninjutsu, right? Yeah, I mean, what is it, Rock Lee? Bold of you to assume Kit got that reference. I take umbrage with that! Oh, so you did get this one. Isn't that a professional wrestler? Yes, professional wrestler turned Hollywood sensation Rock the Lee Johnson. See? I understood that reference! Uh-huh. Anyway, despite not having its own ninjutsu cost, it does in fact give every other creature in your hand an ninjutsu cost of one blue-black, so it at least enables other sneaky friends to come in hard. Just imagine building a commander deck with that and sneaking in a pestilence demon. That would require me to play commander. What's wrong with commander? Nothing, but the pestilence demons invading our plane means it now requires a webcam setup. Diz, didn't the first secret lair of the year get shown off as well? It sure did. It is the first in what we can only guess to be a series of astrological-themed secret layers. This one focused on Capricorn to be released April 23rd. This is the first in what will be a repeated cycle of astrology layers, each releasing for their corresponding month and will be on sale for the rest of the year. Unlike most layers, this won't be printed to demand, but a preset amount will be in stock, and should stock of it run out, notifications will be sent when more are available. The Capricorn set features five swamps, in-foil or non-foil, all with Capricorn-themed art. We don't yet know what's happening with the rest of the Zodiac arts, but we'll be here to talk about it. Jank? Thank you, Diz. Our next story, 
One of the things that helps make competitive magic watchable is a good commentary team. Cedric Phillips has been one of the most recognizable names associated with that field, both for official Wizards tournaments and for the ever-popular SCG Tour. He's been in the role of content creation coordinator and lead broadcast for nine years, but announced just last week that he has decided to resign from those posts. Part of his decision is based on a difference in opinion in the direction SCG content should go, and another part is simply a desire to do something different for the direction of his own creative career. He still has a clothing apparel line, Coalesce Apparel, as well as a podcast in what is likely a bright future within magic itself. Indeed he does. Immediately after he announced his resignation, another highly notable personality announced that they too would be resigning. Patrick Sullivan, who has worked with the company for 15 years himself, stated he would be following Cedric out the door. Patrick made it clear that these weren't messy partings, but that whatever his future in magic content, he wanted to be sure Cedric was a part of it. He also mentioned that the Unsleevables will be returning after a necessary hiatus. We here at WNXS News wish them both the best with their future endeavors. And now we'll go over to ISO to hear about the upcoming Arena Open and the following qualifier weekend. ISO, how did your battles in the North go? Quite well, but I'd prefer the mind battle that this weekend's Arena Open promises to be. It's the first one with alchemy as the designated format, so it's also the first large event focused on alchemy, as the name would suggest. As always, it can be best of one or best of three, with gems and money on the line. We can expect to see mono green aggro as it makes its way up to the top 7% of the meta, followed closely by mono black and gruel werewolves. With this many creatures, there promises to be a lot of combat steps. While this may be the first event with alchemy as its focus, the next weekend's qualifier is the second. Players can enter this event by either being in the top 1200 of the December 2021 ranked season, getting to 7 wins on day 2 of this upcoming arena open, having had 6 wins in a day 1, or competing at all in the December qualifier, or being part of the Innistrad Championship and securing fewer than 10 wins. If you're already qualified, the arena open seems like a great final training ground to better hone your deck and skills. Back to you, Kit. Thank you, Iso. Our next story. The popper format has been going through a tough time lately. Well, that makes sense, given this economy and all. Which makes it hard to buy cards. Not just cards. Complaints of format homogeny have led to players becoming fairly disgruntled. These feelings came to a head last year when players entered format events with decks consisting of nothing but lands. As an answer to these growing and legitimate concerns and complaints, Watsi announced the establishment of the Popper Format Panel. It will function in a similar role to that of the CAG or the Commander Rules Committee, but will provide feedback directly to Watsi instead of an outside party. The panel has seven members, six of whom are notable Popper community presences, and Gavin Verhey taking the seventh slot as the official go-between for the panel and Wizards teams. The six other members are Mirko Shivada from Italy, Emma Partla from the UK, Ryuji Saito of Japan, Paige Smith from the USA, Alex Ullman, also of the USA, 
and Alexander Weber of Brazil. The team has said that any changes to the format should be expected either right before or right after Neon Dynasty previews, not during. So at least we know where to keep an eye out. It's time for another break, but when we come back, we'll have a news bruise as well as the name of the new Hasbro CEO. These streets are mean and times are lean. We've seen a lot of crazy things these last few years here on the Estrade. Demons bigger than usual, angels going crazy, tentacles coming out of Steve's face, and now this weird darkness. One thing that's never changed all these years, when something's screwy, you gotta get to the bottom of it. I mean, you gotta if you don't want to die. No one's better at getting to the bottom of a mystery than Eloise. She helped track down Mac the Dipper. She was able to figure out what in Avison's name was going on with the Gift Frog. And she was even able to find Steve a bobber to trim his face tentacles. If there's investigating to be done, Eloise is who you need. Find her in downtown Nefalia. It's, it's not like there's not much left. You'll find her quick. Welcome back. And on this edition of News Brews, we have Zynum coming to join us. Zynum, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. It is an absolute pleasure. Uh, before we get the ball rolling, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do related to magic? Um, so I play Commander quite a bit. Um, I restarted my content creating as of 2022. Um, I have my first article up on my own website, um, bit.ly slash Academy, where I talk about uh, my goals as a player, as a brewer and whatnot for 2022, since we did just start the new year, figured it'd be an appropriate topic. Um, I sure. will be starting to do very intermittent streaming across 2022, which you can catch on Twitch with the usual handle. And yeah, just playing a lot of EDH, trying to get some different decks being built not necessarily new ones because i found that i like certain particular strategies and i've come to a point where now i'm doing the same thing it's reading the same book in a different language and it's like okay cool but it's still the same story let's try to do something different so yeah just trying out new things and seeing what works Speaking of what works, uh, you've brought with you one of your favorite commander decks to talk about. So why don't you go ahead and tell us who the general is of this one? Uh, the general of this deck is Galzeth Prismari. Um, it's a it's a legendary <laughs> creature that turns your artifacts into ramp, and particularly likes using tokens to create them and then tap them for mana instead of sacrificing them like treasure. Or you can utilize food, you can utilize clues. Uh, we just got new blood tokens in Crimson Vow, and there's actually an equipment that allows us to utilize those to a certain degree. So it's basically utilizing these artifacts you create to you know, cast your big style of Prismari spells and try to win a game that way. Okay. Uh, so what are the meat and potatoes with the deck? What's some of the key cards that you take advantage of Galazeth's ability with or that you ramp to? 
Um, so some of the really big hitters in the deck are are one of them being Trail of Evidence for three mana gain enchantment, where you create a clue every time you cast it or sorcery. Because we're in blue red, we are casting a lot of intermittent spells to try and dig through our library to find cards we need to eventually close out the game. And Trail of Evidence just turns each of those instants and sorceries into a form of card ramp. Um, two artifacts that we had, but now three of them. There are three art. There are three equipment: um, Prying Blade, Gold Vein Pick, and Ceremonial Knife. They are equipments that give a minor power boost to the equipped creature. However, when combat damage is dealt, you create an artifact token. For the pick and for the blade, if you deal the damage to a player, you create a treasure token. For the knife, as long as you deal damage at all, you create a blood token. And so those really help you um, accelerate further into your plan on casting some of more of your artifacts and enchantments, digging a little bit deeper into your deck. Um, but also pushing towards a um, Voltron win condition with Galazeth, where if you have enough of them, Nettle Sis can come into play and help close out games that way. Um, one really big card piece, uh, one really big piece to the deck that came out in a Brawl deck actually is Shimmer Dragon, which lets us tap those artifacts we just created, <laughs> start drawing cards, and get us that much closer to closing it out. Um, however, one cannot be a tokens artifact deck without talking about Academy Manufacturer, who takes this deck to an entirely new level because of its ability to turn your um, creating one artifact into creating three of them. The ramp is impressive and could really help close out the game really quick, especially because one of those could be clues. So mm -hmm. if for some reason you just have a lot of excess mana, you could start stacking those clues and start drawing cards and dig that much deeper into the deck. Um, without Academy Manufacturer, this deck could, would be significantly weaker in that you'd have to find a lot more ways of creating artifacts on your own. And that could sometimes drop the consistency of the deck and force you to build it in a way that isn't as flexible just because you need to get to that many you know, artifacts out just to be able to use one of your big finisher spells. Okay. Um speaking of those spells, what are some of the what what are some of the veggies or like the the support that you use besides the academy uh guy to um to get you to like dig you a little bit deeper or build up to where you can finally bring those big splashy ones down. So a couple of the big, uh, a couple of the big spells that help us um, dig a little bit deeper are both Thought Monitor and Thought Cast. Uh, thought Cast being the sorcery for for four and a blue, but it has affinity for artifacts. So for as little as one mana, we could be drawing three. Thought Monitor does the same thing, but it costs two mana more, and that's because you're getting a two-two flyer out of it. Um, there are several little creatures that when the end of the battlefield they create an artifact but what makes it great is that when you pair that with Rihanna fire dancer when you're casting your instant sorcerers on your turn you can now make copies of those creatures that have made those artifacts turn after turn and just help push you a little bit further from there uh, one underrated card that um i don't always get but it's always a treat to have is tamio's journal and that lets you investigate on each of your upkeeps so with the county manufacturer, you're making three of them, but otherwise you're making clues. So between journal and trail of evidence, 
you can actually get quite a few clues out to where you're now just tapping the journal, sacrificing the clues to tutor a card from your library, which can either grab you the spell to finish the game or grab you an interaction piece to be able to deal with what is going on on the board and what's keeping you from winning the game. Sounds pretty effective. Uh, so now we come to the crux, the part that makes every deck kind of special. What What is your particular spice or sweetness to this? What makes this a Zynum deck as opposed to just another Galazeth Prismari deck? What makes this a Zynum deck? Hmm. <laughs> what makes this a Zynum hmm. you. No one's really ever asked that question of what makes this deck you. And I think... <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm looking through the deck just thinking, like, what makes it me? Um, Horizon Stone as a card to be able to funnel your mana into, much like uh, Krufix God of Horizon is. Um, it literally just has the mana holding ability. Um, yeah, when it comes to Galazeth, we end up um, still only being able to use that mana for sorceries. But Horizon Stone was a card that I just never saw anyone using and never thought of it being a card that you know, one would want to run, but it's found its way here. Um, one thing about me is that I do love Blink. My well, Some of my favorite decks are Blink decks, and so I do run an Essence Flux, I run a Teferi's Time Twist, and an Illusionist Stratagem to Blink those creatures that make artifacts to get some more of them. It's also ways of keeping Prismari safe in the event that someone tries killing it with spot removal, because um, Prismari himself makes a treasure on ETB. So, yeah, a couple of drink spells, nice little Horizon Stone really makes it, nope, slightly different than a standard Galazeth deck. That, yeah, that, oddly enough, I, I remember that card being spoiled, and I remember people seemed really divided at first about how good it was, and I have not seen it played once since the, since the spoilers. Um, so, yeah, that definitely is you. That's a... That's a very unique one. Um, okay, and just just because we're going to start doing this with our news brews now, do you have any memorable stories of this deck or any fun ways that you've won or lost with it? Fun ways that I have won or lost from it. Um, I know... Oh my gosh. I remember <laughs> the game because it ended up getting down to one-on-one. But I think what happened was I... In, so the deck obviously runs Nettle Cyst because it's a colorless way of really making Galazeth really big and just closing out the game real quick. But I think on one of them, it was just this nail-biter of a 1v1 where my opponent had the lead the whole time, like the entire game, and it getting just to me and them was a struggle throughout. And I think what it was is I had just drawn i just got them off of resources to cast which one was it i think it was crackle with power i managed to cast it for like two or something and be able just to close <laughs> the game out with just enough to deal with it so obviously my treasure my artifact token resources were low and i was just kind of top decking at this moment and so being able to just have enough pieces to dig in for the crackle with power to close up the game was it was just a huge sigh of relief when the spell resolved like okay yeah you got it <laughs> oh man i mean yeah that's good gosh that is incredibly impressive um 
All right. Well, that just about wraps us up. So um, why don't you, I know you said some of them at the beginning. Why don't you tell our listeners where you can be found? Of course, you can find me at Twitter at ADH underscore Academy. You could find all of my articles at bit.ly slash ADH Academy. And you can find me at Twitch at twitch.tv slash ADH Academy. When you're going through the socials, the only one with the underscore is on Twitter. Everything else is just, you know, the letters and letters. Oh my gosh, the letters and numbers. The letters and the Academy. All right. And thank you again for joining us. Our next story. The excitement for the Dracula lands was palpable upon the reveal. And knowing you can get them on Arena gave players even more of the good kind of jitters. Unfortunately, as stated earlier, we can't have anything nice. Indubitably. There's apparently a bug on Arena that won't allow players to sideboard if they're playing with the Dracula lands, and until it's fixed, the Arena team recommends not playing with them unless you're in a best-of-one setting. Truly, the darkness that is the world of Dracula spreads much like the Phyrexian oil, contaminating your blood and slowly fading away all humanity until you have nothing left of yourself. But more vampiric. With Dracula, you get pale and fragile, and the Phyrexians just pull out your insides and replace them with machinery. Yes, that is certainly what happened to all of the arena players encountering this particular bug. You sound skeptical. Well, it's not as though there's a track record of Arena having random bugs whenever new products come out or anything. Bugs, yes! Renfield eats bugs to absorb the life force of other creatures. Clearly, Arena is producing bugs in order to lure in players to feed on their life force. Of of course they are, because you can just suck life force through digital technology now, didn't you know? Our final story. After the untimely demise of Hasbro CEO Brian Goldner last year, Rich Stoddart was named as interim CEO, but the company has been silent on their final choice. That silence is now broken. Chris Cox has officially been named as the new CEO to be effective on February 25th. Most recently serving as president and COO of Wizards of the Coast, Chris was selected due to his track record and what the board of directors believed to be his ability to take the company to a higher level. He has served in his current role since 2016 and was the leader for Wizards' billion-dollar profit last year. We wish him luck and will be waiting for him to bring us more news. That's all this edition. We'll see you next time. Same time, new news.